practice for most of us. Definitely. To tolerate, to know that if a child is having a meltdown, it's not our job to stop it. It's our job to support them through it. And they will come out the other side and then they will feel better. Yeah. We all feel better after a good cry. Welcome to the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. Look, if you believe that there's got to be more to life or you find yourself zagging when others are zigging, this podcast is most likely for you. We're not here to fix you because in our opinion, you're already perfect. We are here to help you remember who you truly are. That light inside of you that you thought you lost forever. I think you know the one I'm talking about, right? That one. We're brash and blunt and give it to you straight. You'll most likely love us and hate us at the same time. And for us, that's perfect. Because what we are here to do is open your heart and expand your mind so you can live your ultimate life. And if you're wanting more support at any time or just want to interact with Guy and I, find our personal development without the fluff group on Facebook and come hang out with us and other like-minded, amazing human beings. So if you're done with fantasizing about your life and you're ready to go start living it, welcome to our show. Now let's get started. All right. So again, I'd love to start with just an amazing acknowledgement that someone wrote to us on iTunes and this person named Funk Yeah, which is an awesome name, wrote uh, with the headline, My Aha Moment. By the way, for all of you listening, I will be reading these uh, starting every single podcast going forward. So if you'd like to receive a free, amazing gift just make sure you go to iTunes, leave us a review. And when I read yours, just go and email me at elon at satoriprime.com and I will personally send you a wonderful gift. So Funky yeah, writes, I cannot get enough of this podcast. Elon and Guy have ignited a spiritual awakening and realization exploration of self that I've been craving for so long. It's not just about inspiration. This podcast is a tool to better understand yourself and your role and others' roles within the universe. I've experienced a positive shift in my communication, relationships, professional advancements, and even parenting. I often find myself screaming, yes, 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 while listening. Thank you. And thank you, Funk Yeah. Reach out to me, Elon at satoriprime.com, and I will send you a wonderful gift. All right, and now let's get to the new show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Personal Development Without the Fluff. I'm your host, Elon Ferdman. Today, we have a really special treat. This is actually one of the first times we've ever had a guest to talk about this topic. We are going to be talking about parenting, which is something that we're actually, I told uh, Lisa, we're actually working on a product ourselves. So it was just like really, really interesting timing that she showed up in our lives. So first, welcome to the show, Lisa Howe. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. It's great, great to have you. So Lisa, before we dive into the the genius that you will be sharing about parenting, uh, why don't you just tell people a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to be here? Sure, absolutely. So I am a social worker by trade and I've been helping children and families, you know, for the last 25 years. After I went to graduate school, I became a parent And I knew for sure I did not want to be the kind of parent that I had. I grew up in a very angry and abusive household. 
And I had learned a lot in graduate school about the theories of parenting and, you know, what science says, but not much actual practice. And since we learned, for better or for worse, how to parent from our parents, I knew I had to seek out more information. Um, And since I'm a nerdy social worker, I wanted to look at the research. And that's how I stumbled upon Dr. Laura Markham, who's a clinical psychologist And shortly after that, I trained with her personally for six months to become a certified peaceful parenting coach. And what I love about Dr. Markham is that everything that she teaches is grounded in the research. So it's not Dr. Markham says, or in this case, Lisa says, it's this is what the research says. So since then, I work privately with families coaching. And then as well, I teach workshops both online and then here in San Diego, California. That's awesome. And how long have you been doing this? About a little over three years. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, something really near and dear to me, uh, for those that don't know or are first-time listeners, I have a seven-and-a-half-year-old and a six-year-old at home. And um, I would probably say that being a uh, father is my number one the, the number one thing that I want to be the best at and, and constantly be evolving. And so um, it's, it's, I love that you started this by saying, you know, it's one thing to learn the theory. It's a whole other thing to be in the experience of it. So you highlighted saying being a peaceful, a peaceful parent, define that for us. Sure. So what the research tells us is that peaceful parents um, the research calls those that style of parenting authoritative um, versus authoritarian, which is the many the way that many of us were raised. Yeah. And what it tells us is that we should have high expectations of our children, but we should give them high support to meet those expectations. Um, I, you know, people love examples, and I love to give the example of your child cleaning their room, which is a universal struggle, you know, for all of us, unless you have a child who's a real neat Nick, which is pretty unusual. And so, yes, we want our kiddos to be able to clean their room. It's an important task to be able to learn in life, but we have to give them support to meet that expectation. So parents will come to me and say, well, my three-year-old won't clean his room. And I'll say, well, you're three. have you taught your three-year-old to clean his room? Have you sat there and done that painstaking, okay, sweetie, where does, where's this go? What's the home of this book? And until you do that, the, you know, you're having an unreasonable expectation because a three-year-old just doesn't know how to clean his room. Totally. Um, and so that's really what a peaceful parent is. And I think it boils down, I always say, to being kind and firm. And, you know, most folks are too kind or too firm. And it's all like life, finding that someplace in that middle space where you can be kind and firm. Yeah, for sure. I think most parents would relate to that most of the time. The autopilot version of us Mm -hmm. is some sort of version of either mom or dad, you know, whoever we kind of took after more for the parenting style. And for those who are obviously seeking how to be better parents, I think it becomes abundantly clear that when you're not present, you're kind of doing that autopilot thing. But there's plenty of parents that have, you know, they're just not seekers. So hopefully we're not going to be talking to those people today. But for those who are seekers and find themselves in that autopilot mode, uh, what are some of the things that they can start to create a little bit more awareness around stepping out of that and actually learning some of these new skills? Absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, really the 
what I teach is a three-part model. And the first and most important is that we regulate our own emotions. And that's incredibly important because if you're not regulating your emotions, you're doing exactly what you said. You're acting on autopilot. You're reacting instead of responding. And when we react, we're not coming from our best selves. We're not being mindful about our thinking, about what we're saying. That's the time that we're likely to throw out threats and bribes and punishments and trying to um, engage in a negative way. But when we respond, that's a thoughtful approach. So focusing on self-regulation, you know, so much of improving our own self-regulation, as you well know, is about being mindful, about taking the time, about making sure, you know, for all parents, but I think especially mothers, of putting ourselves on the list, making sure that we're taking our care of ourselves outside of parenting. Because before I was a parent and before I was a wife, I was just Lisa. And I need to have that time just being Lisa, whatever that looks like for me. You know, for me, it's going to yoga. Keeps me sane. Um, you know, it gives me the mindfulness, the mantras, and the meditation along with the exercise. And so finding those ways to improve your self-regulation. A big thing I teach, which people sometimes scoff at initially, is practicing breathing, deep breathing on a regular basis. You know, research shows that if you take five slow, deep breaths, you can slow your thinking enough that you can respond. And, you know, sometimes people will scoff. I had a client this week said, the number one thing that has helped me so far is that five slow deep breaths. And I thought like, Oh, that's kind of hokey. Of course I am breathing, but it makes a huge difference in the way that we can react. Yeah. And and I will take it a step further and also say that it's something that I've taught my children as well. Um, Again, it has to come from you first, but uh, Mm -hmm. afterwards, you know, it's really interesting because my son specifically runs, um, a rigid pattern, which basically is like rule based, you know, if things aren't exactly the way he wants, it creates a lot of nervous energy and, and anxiety kind of in his system. And obviously, anytime we're in that anxious state, to your client's points, like while well, I'm breathing, no, you're not, you're actually stopped breathing, which is what's happening, everything is tightening up. And so it's interesting, I've made him aware of this. Now, he chooses to do it sometimes he doesn't do it all the time. But like, the times that he does it, And I just remind him, like I see him getting all worked up and I'm just like, remember to breathe. And he'll just kind of sit on the edge of his bed or on the couch or something and just breathe. And I'm like, notice the tension in your heart because his tension is here, as he's uh, told me. And he'll just notice in like five to 10 breaths that that thing dissipates. And then the anxiety and the having to have things this way disappears with it. So it's, it's a really, really powerful tool, not only to do with ourselves, but to also pass on to our kids. Absolutely. And that's the thing is that these these tools that we learn for self-regulation, whether it's the breathing, whether it's the having time to yourself, the other big thing that I push uh, peacefully, of course, is meditation, yeah. um, which many people balk at and feel like, oh, I, I, you know, I'm not Gandhi. I can't sit on the top of a mountain and chant. And that's okay. You know, the good news is, you know, the internet provides us with tens of thousands of free guided meditations, which just about anybody can do. And, and then you can introduce your kids to those things. You know, more and more elementary schools are incorporating meditation and mindfulness into their days and it's a game changer. So starting with us and then modeling that for our kids is key. Yeah. 
we've been coaching people for, for a decade plus. And, and I will say that everyone says, you know, what's your number one thing? I'm like meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a 5,000 year old wisdom for a reason. Right. It's been passed down for ages. It's just, if you're not going to read any book or do any course or anything, just that five to 10 minutes every morning that you just, your time, I don't care yeah. what you do. If you're sitting there quietly and your mind is going berserk for those 10 minutes, that's great meditation. If you're sitting there and you fall asleep, that's great meditation. If you're sitting there and you fall into that void, that's great meditation. Like it's just that, that little bit of space I've actually found, and I'm curious what your experience is that the more I've done it, it almost creates this gap mm-hmm. where the way I describe it, it's like, if you've ever seen in um, San Francisco, when the fog rolls in, kind of like rolling over the mountains, right? So it's like, you can now see the response and the reaction happening in your body. Like you could see it from far away, kind of coming and you're like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's actually, that's research-based. Um, that's exactly what happens. We rewire and relay our neural pathways so that we don't have that quick response. You know, one of my favorite ways to encourage meditation is to tell people about a study I read that, so the amygdala in our brain is the part that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have very hyperactive and big amygdalas that like to react, you know, especially if you're raised in a family like I was raised, you know, where everything was, was huge. Mm. So this study says that if you meditate daily for eight weeks, you will physically shrink the size of your amygdala or lowering your fight, flight, or freeze response. So it really works. And you know, it's one of those things that people maybe are resistant, but once they try it, they see that it works. Yeah. You know, and it's hard to be consistent with meditation. I've been meditating, you know, for nearly 20 years. And there are definitely times where I fall off or, you know, I think, oh, I just don't have time today. But it is, it always, always works. Yeah. It's, it, so when we start working with someone, we tell them like, okay, do a 30-day meditation challenge every mm-hmm. day. You just say like, I meditated, I didn't meditate, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And what we find is that after someone does it for 30 straight days, inevitably at like day 35 or 45, like somewhere in there, they're going to miss a day. And that day they'll go about their day. They'll come home and that day, like it's off, you know, that they're a little more tense. Things weren't as in flow. And they're like, why was today? So, oh, I didn't meditate. And that's it. Like once they kind of create that, that connection between, oh, my life just works better when I have this in. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of becomes like brushing your teeth in the morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just build it into your routine and it becomes something that you do because in the moment you may not feel it, but it's an investment in the rest of your day, the rest of your week, your family. Yeah. And I think it's it's just a cool thing. You know, two of my biggest practices in the morning are meditating and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and other things that we do on a regular basis, like me and my wife, we eat healthy, we exercise, things like that. And I think it's really interesting. Parents are always telling kids what to do, mm-hmm. but kids don't ever do what you tell them to do. They learn by mimicking. And so it's like my son goes to bed. Like last night, I mean, I put him to bed. It was probably like 8 p.m. I went in to check on him at 9.30. He was up and reading. Like So he has a love for reading. Meditation is something that they don't do all that quite often yet. Uh, but exercising, they always exercise with us. It's just... As a parent, like you can lead by example or you could just tell them what you want them to do and they're always going to follow your example no matter what that is. So 
I remember when we had spoken, um, you had told me some distinction between coaching and I believe controlling. Was that the? Yes. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that for a bit. Absolutely. So, you know, in the traditional style of parenting and that authoritarian parenting, there's a lot of, because I said so, just, you know, just do it. No explanations are given. Um, And should there be problems, it's, you know, just immediately going into a punishment um, or a consequence without any discussion or coaching around what to do differently next time. You know, I don't remember my parents ever having a conversation with me saying, well, you did this. Now, I was a really good kid, but there would be some fault found and, you know, I would, you know, get restricted, all these things. And I never remember there being a conversation to say, so the next time you're in that situation, I'm wondering what you think you could do differently next time. Mm-hmm. Or even better, planning in advance and coaching your kids in advance of situations that may be tricky or may be overwhelming or may create a problem and planning and talking about it. So, okay, so today we have your presentation at school and it seems like you're feeling a little nervous about it, which, you know, everyone's, most people are nervous in front of talking in front of crowds. So let's talk about some ways that we can help you. Mm. And working with them and coaching them versus, you know, the traditional, well, you have your presentation. Good luck. Yeah. You know, and then even better, like, did you prepare for your presentation? Right. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, being upset when they act completely normally nervous um, and then taking that personally and feeling like that's a reflection on us that, you know, our six-year-old is nervous to stand up in front of the class and all of the parents and, you know, recite something or read something. Most adults are afraid of getting up in front of talking in front of people. Yeah. So, um, you know, that coaching and that planning in advance, and then after something happens, reviewing it and talking about it. Um, you know, just before our talk this morning, my daughter woke up and she said, I had a terrible dream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a dream and it was Kind of, you know, it was a six-year-old dream. So, you know, from if you were wearing your adult lenses, you might think it was kind of ridiculous. But really, she's expressing herself. And so I took the time. I set my coffee down, set my book down, and climbed up on my lap. Tell me all about it. Oh, oh, so in your dream, I didn't have your back, and I wasn't supporting you, and your friend wasn't being kind. That must have been really disappointing and not what you would expect from me. And she was like, yes. And she gave me a hug and then she hopped off to do her Legos. So providing that emotion coaching is also so helpful because most of us, most adults, and I can safely say this with my years of experience in social work, don't know how to talk about their feelings. And so coaching coaching our kids and coaching our kids to be able to express themselves that way is going to make a huge difference in their lives. Yeah, you you bring up such a good point, and I think this is worthwhile exploring here for a bit. So as a coach of adults, one of the biggest things that we focus on is I think human beings have been conditioned to wanting to feel good all the time. Like, And if we're not feeling good, then there's something wrong. That's kind of like the, the, the culture. And our whole methodology today has been more in it's not about feeling good. It's about getting good at feeling. Mm, and, yes. and being able to be with all the feelings, like 
this is a life experience. If you were in a Disney movie and everything was like birds chirping and like harps playing, you get bored after a while. Like that's not why we came here. We came here to have the breath of the human experience, but we're so resistant to experiencing that. So what I've also noticed, because we don't have that ability, right? Where where Mm -hmm. we can't be with our feelings. Then when our kids who are naturally way more connected to source and just are driven by energy in a way that, that most adults have just closed off. Like this is not okay. This is not okay. Right. Then we're around this being who is just alive and can go from bouncing off the walls to crying, to playing, to singing back to cry. Like that just expansive emotion. We get very annoyed by and frustrated and we're just like fall in line and behave, right? Like that's the thing that just behave, just calm down, like all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious because I know that this is something that every parent across the board deals with, even the most enlightened ones at some point are just like, relax. (laughs) Um, So I'm sure this is something that you work with many, many parents on. So I'd love to get your your input and, and outlook on this. Absolutely. One big thing that I say a lot is that feelings have a bad rap in our culture. Mm. And that, as you said, feelings are a beautiful, beautiful part of life. And we all experience them, but so many of us are uncomfortable with them. You know, many of us were told, especially in our generation when we were kids, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about. And feelings weren't welcomed. And so what do we learn to do? We learn to stuff them. But the problem is, is that feelings will always come out. They never go away until you feel them. And what happens is that they usually end up coming out at the most inopportune times. You know, I love to share this story of, you know, years ago, I was working really hard job with kids in the foster care system. And I was just stuffing and stuffing because it was so overwhelming. I was 20 years old. And then I burned my toasts and I started sobbing. Now, toast is delicious, but it's not that good. <laughs> and it, it was really, it was the, just the straw that broke the camel's back and that release of those feelings because I wasn't raised and wasn't practiced in welcoming feelings. And so when we can do, start to do that for ourselves and welcome our own feelings when they come up and, you know, write, journal them, talk to a friend about them. You know, many folks need to get themselves to therapy or get themselves to a coach and be able to talk about those things that are in their way. And once we can get a little more comfortable with our own feelings, then we can start to accept our children's. Because as you said, they are so beautifully expressive of all of their feelings. And, and also, you know, that, that bipolar roller coaster of tears to laughing to, you know, joy to, you know, falling apart because the Legos didn't work the way they wanted them to. Those feelings are all so beautiful and we want to teach them so they don't have to learn when they're 27 how to feel those feelings, And that we do that by welcoming them. And sometimes we have to build our stamina. You know, I heard from a mom last night who said, I I can't tolerate the crying. When they cry, I tell them they they need to stop or I'm going to take X, Y, Z away. And I want to stop doing that because I know it's not good for them either, neither right now or in the long run. And so this idea that we welcome feelings, we limit behavior. You know, you can be as angry as you need to be, sweetie. And you can cry as much as you want, but you cannot hit me. 
So we want to welcome the feelings and limit the behavior. And I think it takes, it takes practice for most of us. Definitely. To tolerate, you know, to know that if a child is having a meltdown, it's not our job to stop it. It's our job to support them through it. And they will come out the other side and then they will feel better. Yeah. We all feel better after a good cry. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Hi there, my friend. I just wanted to take a quick minute here in case some of you skip these intros on the shows and let you know about our amazing community that's changing people's lives all over the world. It's called The Collective. And if you're thinking, I don't know if this is worth my investment, I thought I'd share just what some of our members have been saying. Take a listen to these reviews. Something about being around you and Guy is magic. I grow more when I'm a part of your tribe. The conversations around love have changed me more than I'm sure I'm even aware of. I ask for answers and half the time, I don't even know what I'm asking for. And then always the perfect thing shows up. I've never felt so free. Another writes, growing stronger and more independent every day, full of self-belief, living in the now, and I am love. I do feel free because I've released what was surrendered to what is, and I'm excited as to what will be. And lastly, one of the best decisions I've made in a long time was the one I made roughly two weeks ago to begin meditating and connecting with Elon and Guy Ferdman of Satori Prime in their collective. So if you'd like this podcast and this form of education, I am sure that you will absolutely love the collective. And the best part is we're offering a 14-day free trial for you to just come and check it out. You really have nothing to lose. Once the trial is done, check this out. Your investment is just $9 a month. I mean, that's less than one of those fancy cups of coffee or a glass of wine or beer. So if you head over to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and invest in yourself, or are you not worth the $9 investment? Look, you can lock this price in right now before we realize it's way too low and crazy and change our minds and bump it up. Again, head over to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and lock your price in at just $9 a month. We look forward to seeing you on our next collective training. Now on with the show. I think the, the main hindrance there for uh, parents or for human beings is that we are uncomfortable being around certain emotions ourselves. Right. And when we're around that emotion, what's happening is we're being triggered. Like our system mm -hmm. is having some sort of response that brings us back to when we were five or six and yes. we get to feel really uncomfortable. I had an experience just this past weekend where it seemed like inconsequential, but it actually was a really, really beautiful feedback where mm -hmm. my wife and I went to a friend's house and we had a conversation because it was going to snow that night. And I said, listen, it's going to snow. I don't really want to drive in this like whiteout blizzard condition that we're supposed to get. So can we have an agreement that we're going to leave this the house by seven? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she was having a few glasses of wine with her friend and, you know, got loose and happy. And it, I was like, it's 645. We're going to leave in 15 minutes. And she's like, no. And I got so triggered because mm -hmm. like this has kind of happened before here and there. And I got so triggered and I got so mad. So we end up leaving. It was probably like 7.20 something when we ended up leaving and I'm in the car and I'm pissed because now it's snowing and it's white out conditions and it's oh. dangerous. And I'm just like, yeah. you did this and da, da, da. And then we get home and my daughter is like, can I have ice cream? I'm like, no, you can't have ice cream. You had ice cream for lunch and then you had this 
chocolate covered pretzel. Like you can't have ice cream. Mm -hmm. And so my wife takes a bar of ice cream and starts sharing it with my daughter. And I'm like, and then the same thing. I was like, Aliyah, you know what? You chose ice cream over me. And I'm, we have like a bat, like a nighttime routine that we do. I was like, I'm not giving you that routine tonight. I was like, mm-hmm. this is what you chose. And so I'm sitting there afterwards and I'm like in the den, just kind of like, you know, decompressing, quote unquote. Yeah. Sure. And I'm just looking at it and I'm like, okay, that's totally not the reactions I wanted on both accounts, right? Like I didn't want to respond that way. And then I was like, okay, what's the thing that actually got triggered? Like what was that part of me that really got triggered? And what came up was I was, I was ignored. Mm-hmm. My yes. wife, like, you know, ignored. Mm-hmm. And then I came home and it was like my daughter now ignored. Mm-hmm. And I just got pissy, right? It was like the five-year-old, like, you ignored me. So F you, I'm going to ignore you back. Right. Like that. One of the den. Yeah, exactly. And it was just so, you know, look, I mean, I think we all have reactions that we're not necessarily proud of and we wish we could have done again. I just yep. think it's like, what are you going to do with them to learn about yourself and why that happened in the first place. They didn't do anything to me. Right. Like they had nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's not about them. So then I I got a really beautiful ability to remember something about myself. And Mm -hmm. so now look, I mean, I think it's, it's asinine to be like, I'll never do that again. Your program, you know, like, but I have a, a much higher level of awareness now in when that stuff happens again to know like, oh, I'm getting upset right now because I'm feeling ignored. And instead of like dealing with that, I can go here and deal with that. I think that's something that that most parents don't necessarily have the tools around how to do that or like inquire around that. And I'm sure I know we spoke like this is a lot of the stuff that you're doing with them. So I'd love to hear because I'm sure you have a ton of stories about when when you're in the heat of the moment, what you can do, what you can do after the heat of the moment to kind of like understand. And, and so I'd love to, I'd love to hear your experiences on this too. Yeah, absolutely. This comes up a lot. And um, that trigger in particular that you're talking about, which I think we all have, I call that the how dare you trigger. <laughs> because that's how it feels in that moment when you're being ignored, or you've asked, you know, in your case, you've asked your wife, you know, that we're going to leave at this time and you have very valid reasons and you're feeling unheard. It's that how dare you not listen to me? Yeah. And that trigger, it you just can feel it. I when it happens to me, I can feel it wash over me. And I imagine that my face is bright red. <laughs> yep. It actually is, but that's how it feels because it feels so intense. Yeah. And what I do with folks is I use these opportunities. I have a, developed this trigger tracking worksheet mm-hmm. where I send it home with people. And after these things happen, it's a series of questions to help them kind of dig deeper and to look at why that is. For me, I get that trigger when I'm not being listened to because I ha- I wasn't listened to as a child. And I have lots of things to say. You know, I was always a talker and I like to tease my dad. Like, now I get paid to talk to people. <laughs> you see? All good, right? Take that, seventh grade teachers. So <laughs> I think that recognizing that. And what's important, there's a mantra that Dr. Marco, my mentor uses, and it's stop, drop, and breathe. And the drop is short for drop your agenda. Mm. Because we as parents always have an agenda, 
right? And it's not nefarious. I just want to go to Costco or I just want to, you know, get out the door to go to school. But nothing cannot be, there's nothing that can't be helped by stopping, just dropping your agenda for a minute and breathing. Yeah. And what you can often do after you've practiced is to stop that trigger in its tracks. And after you've done some work to identify like, oh, this is what's happening, you can, I, you know, well, often something happens, I get that, how dare you trigger, and because I've been practicing for a long time, I stop, I take a few breaths, I drop my agenda, whatever it is that I think has to happen right this very second, yep. because not, it's not an emergency. Never you know? So far in my six, almost seven years of parenting, there's not been a single emergency, but my brain likes to tell me that there is one multiple times a day, yep. and so I stop drop my agenda, breathe, and remind myself, this is not about Ruby, my daughter. This is not about my husband, Scott. This is about little Lisa not feeling heard. Take a breath, take a breath, then take another breath, and then respond thoughtfully. Now, of course, this takes a lot of practice, but that's what I work with with parents in coaching is identifying those triggers and then being able to take to to do that stop, drop and breathe process, along with processing through the triggers so that they don't feel as strong because nothing triggers us like, you know, our really primal relationships, like our partner, our intimate partner and our children. Yeah, I, I actually think that our children have this like uh, innate skill set and that they come here for a very particular reason. They know all of your triggers mm-hmm. way better than you do. And they're just these little angel beings that just come and got like, mommy, look at this. Daddy, look at this. And what I have found to be just profound is when I... I call my, my, uh, my kids, my master teachers, mm-hmm. uh, that's just my relationship to them. And I've told them this, I was like, you, you're oh, my yeah. master teachers, which they're, it just say that to your kids. It's like, watch, watch their little beings just be like, he gets it. Um, yeah, right. yeah, it's like, they're like, but what I've noticed is when they highlight something for me and so like ignored my daughter, right? So I went, had a conversation with my daughter, told her about the reaction that I had, told her how I didn't want to react that way and this is what happened to me and this is what I felt and that's why I had the reaction, etc. The look in their eyes when they receive that information, I found like for a kid to know that their parents are fallible, Yes, I grew up thinking that my parents were infallible. Like I, I just, to me, and then you get to that age and you're like, wait, they're not infallible and it just blows your world. Absolutely. So, knowing that we make mistakes all the time and like we're in this process of learning and growing gives them permission to also Mm -hmm. be kind of what I call like a perfectly imperfect human. And I find that when I heal these parts and release those things and share them with them, our relationship totally transforms. It's almost like they become more loving and cute and connected to me and it's not like I have to do anything and say, you know what, this is what it looks like to be in a father-daughter relationship and you should treat me like this and da 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 It's just like I do the work and it shows up energetically in our space and then they just react differently. Is that is that what you've noticed for yourself too? Oh, 1,000%. You know, I say 
all the time that I think that parenting is is a self improvement project in disguise. Yeah. And it, you know, if you're paying attention at all, you're noticing these things and you are seeing them. You know, our children are mirrors of us. And all day, you know, I see my daughter who looks exactly like me, you know, saying the things I do and doing the things that I do and having the experiences and reflecting back to me, like, oh, oh yeah, that's really funny and I'm that's great. Or mm. Yeah, I know where she got that from. <laughs> no, they, oh, yeah, I, that's something I say. And gosh, and it's true that being, you know, connection, we're all biologically driven to connect with each other. Yeah, and when we focus on that connection, which is a huge piece of what I teach, and when we share ourselves vulnerably with our children, now, you know, we don't want to use them as therapists, which obviously, you know, you're not doing, I'm not doing, but I think that's an important distinction. But we want to show them, as you said, that we're fallible, that we make mistakes, that we not only make mistakes, but we have awareness about them and we can talk about those mistakes and then we can do things differently. Mm. Because going back to the beginning of the conversation, they may not always do what we say, but they will always do what we do. So we model, you know, making repairs and cleaning things up and talking through things, then that's what they're going to do, both with us and their peers when they're young and their partners eventually when they get older. You know, and it does make you closer. Um, One of my favorite stories personally is I tend to, because I'm a talker, I tend to sometimes say too much. And my daughter and I were having a conversation in the car on the way to school one day about our difficult morning. We were kind of processing. And I said, so, you know, this was my part that I should have gotten up earlier and got dressed faster so that I could help support you. And she said, well, my part was that I shouldn't have dilly-dallied with yoga, uh, with um, Legos so much. I'm like, Okay. So then I started saying something else and she said, mama, I feel like the conversation is over. Can we take a break? Right. And I said very humbly from the front seat, I was like, oh, I just got bested by the six-year-old. And I said, okay, okay. And I stopped talking. I turned on the radio so that I wouldn't feel, you know, pushed to talk. And... That afternoon, I said, I really want to thank you this morning for telling me that you needed some space. Mm. And she said, and I really want to thank you for stopping talking. Oh, Because she knows, because I've shared with her, like, I, that's a hard thing for me. Even though I tell people all the time, we talk too much to our kids, they, they tune us out, you know. But that's part of me. And so, and after that, that, you know, that was such a wonderful moment that we had together, both her calling me on it in a very kind and respectful way. And then us talking about afterwards, how much we each appreciated each other, because at the core, you know, with your children, it's a relationship and all relationships improve with connection and vulnerability. Yeah, so true. So true. So I'm curious, when people come to you, what is like the number one struggle that parents come to you and are like, oh, just help me fix this? Right. I would say the number one thing is probably that people want to stop yelling at their kids. Stop yelling at their kids. Interesting. They want to stop yelling. Um, They want to stop overreacting. 
Um, most people who come to me recognize that they are the problem. I do have some folks who come to me and say, you know, I need you to fix my kids. And I have to have that, you know, very frank conversation where I say, well, it's not actually about your kids. What we (laughs) work on is you. And, you know, if they stick around and they keep coming, then, you know, I know they're in. Um, And some people are really hesitant to acknowledge that they have a part But, you know, most people do come understanding, you know, I have a question on my intake. What do you think is causing the problem? And I would say eight times out of 10, people write me. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're highly self-aware, at least to that level. Absolutely. So they don't know what to do about it. And and they're not sure what they should do differently. But most of them do recognize that at the very least, they are contributing to the problems. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the focus on that self-regulation. I also have a lot of parents who come to me whose um, child prefers one parent over the other. Mm -hmm. So that's a common theme, which, you know, is normal to a certain extent. You know, I'm 43 and I prefer one parent over the other. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, mom. You haven't grown out of that one. (laughs) And I think it's human, you know, we all like certain people better. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we feel a, a stronger connection. And, um, but there are things that we can do as parents to improve those connections and therefore kind of balance the scales. Yeah, that's really great. It's, it's uh, interesting. I, I, one day I woke up and I don't know where it came from, but I said, it's interesting that we call it parenting, but most people tr- treat it like childrening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has nothing to do with them. It's just everything to do with us. Yes. Um, so when you're working with uh, parents, is it one parent, two parents? Do both have to be there? Is it just one? Sure. It's a great question. I prefer to work with both parents because often what happens, you know, 99% of the time, it's the mother who reaches out to me. Yeah. And the dad is sort of drug along, you know, and, you know, those are kind of my favorites because I love to win those guys over. And um, so I prefer to work with both parents, you know, because while you don't have to do everything exactly the same, it to have a shared philosophy is really important. Yeah. Um, and to at least attempt to be, you know, in the same book, if not on the same page and um, work together. There are, you know, I would say about 20% of the time I do work with just moms. So, you know, sometimes I work with, I, because I'm in San Diego, I have a lot of military families where the father is deployed. Mm. Um, and so I work with just the mom. But what I do after each session is I send a recap email with that's got resources that we talked about and sort of the tips and tricks listed out so that they can share that with their partners and be able to, um, you know, talk about it. And that's what I encourage us. If you have to come on your own, you know, I implore you to share this information with your partner and talk about our session and what was useful and what you're going to try so that they can try it as well. Beautiful. Now, you, you said in the beginning that uh, all the stuff that, that Dr. Markham had put out is based in science and scientific research and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for parents who are interested in learning about that science, are there places that you recommend people go to, to grab some of that research? 
Yes, absolutely. So there are a number of books that really delve into the research. Probably my favorite is Alfie Cohen's Unconditional Parenting. Now, that book is not a parenting book per se. It does not tell you what to do. Um, what Alfie's a researcher. Awesome. And he, the whole book is full of discussions of studies on research and why parenting, um, you know, in this way is research-based. Um, I also highly recommend, you know, we, unless you seek it out, most parents don't really know anything about child development. Totally. And what happens constantly is that people will come in and say, something's wrong with my kiddo. And they'll tell me, you know, the profile of their kid. And I'll say, mm, he sounds like a four-year-old. <laughs> and they don't, every four-year-old. they don't know because they, you know, of course, they didn't study child development. Mm. Um, and they don't know that that's typical behavior. And that we often, I would say, almost always our expectations are out of whack. Yeah. So when our expectations are out of whack and we're expecting our four-year-old to act like a six-year-old, we're going to be constantly frustrated. So we have to educate ourselves. So I love the book, The Whole Brain Child by um, Dan Siegel and, and Tina Bryson. It's very helpful in explaining the brain science and development. You know, I'm constantly telling parents, impulse control isn't fully developed until between 25 and 30. And if we are then expecting our three-year-old to not do something that's right in front of them, they're going to. They don't have the impulse control to stop themselves. And if we expect them to, we're setting us both up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for frustration and them up for failure. And so doing some education and learning both about child development um, you know, you can get on Google and look up typical behavior of a, of a six-year-old and find things. And there are lots of books available. You know, you can delve as far as you want, but even just gaining some cursory information, I think is so helpful. Yeah. So uh, as you're talking, this, this thought came up and, and I've mm-hmm. seen it with parents, like parents that complain about their children, mm-hmm. I have found have children worth complaining about. Mm-hmm. And it's almost this like cycle where the way we create our children is the way that they show up. Yes. Whereas parents that don't complain necessarily about their children, you know, like a lot of parents, when, when I'm around them, they're just constantly berating and complaining about their kids. And I'm like, well, you're literally creating that in your existence. So they're going to make you right over and over, however you be about it. Uh, I'm curious, both from your experience and also from the science experience, um, have you noticed that? Is, is there some, something that parents can be made aware of as we're going through this? Yes, absolutely. You know, you really nailed it. And it, it creates, you know, when we have those thoughts and then we make those statements, our thoughts create our feelings and that creates our beliefs. And so if we have this belief that our child is a pain, or our child is defiant, or they're or they're lazy, or whatever you know label we want to place on them, and then we want to tell everyone who will listen, or God forbid, we want to take a video of their tantrums and post it on social media. You know, we are really reinforcing and and also shaming our kids. 
And so what the research tells us is that gratitude has a huge impact on the way that we think, believe, and behave. So I'll have parents come to me and say, I'm really struggling. I'm feeling like I'm not liking my kiddo. And just yesterday, a client texted me that, and I texted her back, and I said, send me a list of 10 things you love about your son. Mm. And she said, 10? And I said, oh, you're in the thick of it, sweetie. Yes, 10, you know? And it took her till the evening because she was really struggling. And to that, I say her son was really struggling too. You know, um, our children are having a hard time, not giving us a hard time Mm -hmm. and reminding ourselves of that. You can use that as a mantra. And she sent me that list of the 10 things in the evening. And I said, is he asleep yet? And she said, no. And I said, I want you to go in and I want you to snuggle him. And I want you to get real close and cozy. And then I want you to tell him at least three of those things. Mm -hmm. And this boy was eight, so he could really, I mean, even little children can get that. Totally. And, you know, the research coming out of, um, of the work of John Gottman talks about that for every negative, we should give five positives. Yeah. Now you can do that, you know, as adults, you know, I've done that with my husband where I just stand there and I tell him the five things and kind of begrudgingly, but it works anyways. It does. Um, and with our kids, you know, being able to do that, it flips the script. It changes the attitude of both them and us. And so if you're struggling with your kids, one, the first thing is just stop complaining. Complaining does nothing but reinforce those negative beliefs. And so just stopping the complaining. And I have been, you know, and known people, both clients and friends who like to complain. And I will lovingly say, I hear that this is a really hard time for you. Let's talk about the solution. Yeah. What's the solution? Tell me the things you love about your child because they're people and it's a relationship and every human has qualities that are challenging for us, but let's talk about the ones we love. Yeah. Everyone just runs to victimhood. Right. And then it's like, give me, give me the, the energy and, and acknowledge me for being a victim and et cetera. On the energetic side of things, what I've started to notice is obviously, so kids I think are a lot more, empath empathic than than adults are like they're just naturally that way so when we are complaining about them or we're, we're upset with them on an energetic level and this with everybody what happens is when you're upset with someone so if you're together like in this orb right so your orbs of energy are just kind of like bouncing off each other and connected the second you get upset with someone what you've basically done is you've taken that energy away from them so now their system yep. whether they know it or not is like, oh my God, I lost something, right? Like something was taken from me. You took this thing away from me. Now they don't have this language and they don't have this understanding. Most humans don't, but there's a felt sense that someone took love away. Now, when we take love away, that other person, in this case, this little being responds. And so when this mom, like when we get upset at our kids, uh, my daughter has just been an amazing teacher for me at this because I grew up in a household where my dad was very authoritative. It was like my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And my pattern, mm-hmm. when I fall into pattern and I'm not present, that's what I fall into. Right. And sure. look, when, when life or death is on the line and, and that person comes in, yeah, that's a great pattern to be in and that's a great way to do it. But like most of the time, that's not what's necessary. 
And with her, when I was being that way, her response was almost to like instantly break down and cry. There was just so much coming at her that it was just like instant. And I remember just, it would just stop me in my tracks. And I was like, wow, that is absolutely not the relationship I want with my daughter. And it was very jarring to have that kind of like visceral in your face feedback. And I just started to, so that was like my first awakening to that. And then I started to notice, like, even when I pull away, when I did the, I'm, you know, you ignored me, I'm going to ignore you. She also got really, really upset. Like, like you're tearing that thing away from them. And I think a lot of the times it's becomes more of a work of like, can you be with them however they are and hold space for them to be that way? Because the second we pull away, that triggers all of their stuff. And then that makes us more triggered. And then we're just triggering each other, triggering each other, triggering each other till till there's an eventual explosion that no one's happy with. So I just think like having that visual for you sometimes of like, even if you're not saying something outwardly, your energy is speaking, your energy is constantly moving. And the second you take that away, you're going to be met with some sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like flashback in, uh, in that world. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so true. And it also, you know, especially sensitive kiddos. Yes. You know, like my daughter's very sensitive. You said your son was very sensitive. They feel it even more because children are naturally self-centered. They, you know, think developmentally that everything is because of them. And so we have to be really cautious. And that goes back to that idea of self-regulation, you know, and communication saying, oh, gosh, you know, I, if I'm having a rough day and I pick her up from school, I say, sweetie, I just want to tell you, I've got a headache and I'm kind of feeling not great. So I'm going to do my best to be really gentle, but I want you to know what's happening for me, mm. you know, so that she knows it's not about you. You know, I'm thrilled to see you. By the way, that works great for adults too. When you come 100%. home from work and you've had a horrible day at work, like a lot of the times we don't say that. And then the husband or wife will do something and we're just like so upset from everything else that we're just laying into them and has nothing to do with them. Where if you just say it, the other person's aware and like they're going to be softer and more gentle and more loving instantly without you even having to ask because that's just kind of, I think, what we want to do for those that we love. Absolutely. Um, It's so interesting to me, you know, and, and I love that you do this too, which is... I love that you highlight like that parenting is the ultimate personal development journey. If one chooses in to, to that world, because to me, all these lessons that we can get with these little beings are so, so transferable to our love relationships, our relationship with friends, relationship with coworkers at work, relationship to life, relationship to self. It's just such an opportunity to, to learn and grow that I hope, that anyone that listens to this really walks away with that. Like, this is not just about you being the ultimate parent. It really is about you being the ultimate human being. Lisa, I'd love, you know, for people that want to check you out and and find out what you're up to and courses and things like that, where can they do that? Sure. So my website is becomingpeaceful.com. I have a really active Facebook page, which is also becoming peaceful. And I'm also on Instagram at becoming underscore peaceful. 
um, on Facebook and Instagram. I share daily parenting inspiration articles that I enjoy. I love to share stories. People love to hear stories of my successes and my not very great and my failures because I'm human just like the rest of us and I'm doing my best, but I always appreciate those teachers who tell the truth. So I strive to be one of those. Totally. Yeah. And I think with parenting, it's just one of those things. I, I, Perfectly imperfect. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that we just keep striving, you know, and I provide coaching to parents both here in San Diego and then all over the world via Skype and Zoom. So that's, um, I'm always available. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, A pleasure. I I just love talking and educating myself and reading about this stuff. I, I love the way that you I think we were talking about this on the pre-interview. I'm, I'm so sick of these how-to books yes. that give you this one, two, three formula mm-hmm. that is so, it's like grounded in such archaic yes. human behavior that I'm just like, how are we still passing this along? So, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just oh, it's such nonsense. Like, just to know that someone's out there uh, working to to heal parents mm-hmm. on a whole holistic level so that they can be the best parents they can be is just, uh, it's such a gift. So I honor you for doing the work and uh, for reaching these people. And may these little beings that we all have been entrusted with uh, grow up to do amazing, amazing things well past our, uh, our abilities today. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here and thank you for all the work that you do in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Elon. All right. And for everybody else, I hope you enjoyed this. If you have any questions or comments, as always, you can reach out to me, Elon at SatoriPrime.com and look forward to seeing you on our next interview. Have a great one. Hey, hey, before you go, I just wanted to remind you to go lock in your $9 per month for life offer to join our collective. Like I said, you can even try it for free for the next 14 days. I promise if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love what we're sharing inside of the collective. Again, just head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and you can lock that price in. These are the same tools that we share with our personal one-on-one clients and those guys pay us tens of thousands of dollars to work with us. You can have them for just $9 a month. Again, satoriprime.com forward slash the collective. And as always, we'd love to hear your honest reviews of our show. So if you head to iTunes and leave us a review right now, you could actually be next week's lucky winner. And lastly, if you do want to connect with Guy and I, head to Facebook right now, join our personal development without the fluff private group, ask for permission. There's a ton of amazing exclusive content there as well. And you get to communicate and interact with Guy and I on an ongoing basis. So as always, thank you for your trust, your loyalty, and your listening. We do not take it for granted. We really, really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time.